Hey everyone, welcome to Inside Northumbria, a series of podcasts giving you a chance to hear how we do things the Northumbria way. Hello and welcome to Inside Northumbria and we are talking sleep with Professor Jason Ellis, Professor of uh, Sleep Science at Northumbria University. Hi Jason. Hi James. So we've covered in uh, some of the other episodes a bit about uh, stress and sleep, but specifically uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about sleep and COVID because uh, there are a significant number of people in the trust and I guess people may be listening from outside the trust as well who have had COVID uh, to a greater or lesser extent mm. and conscious that it has affected their sleep in some form. Mm. Now clearly I know we don't know a lot about mm. this, um, but what do we know about COVID and how it affects sleep? Well, we certainly, from the early signs of people developing COVID, we were starting to see respiratory problems. Mm. And respiratory sleep is, is a big area yeah. uh, in terms of if you can't breathe, uh, then it's very difficult to sleep. And if we think about it, we lose about a third of our lung capacity when we lie down to go to sleep anyway. Okay. So if you add anything challenging to the respiratory system onto mm. that, you're going to end up really creating a problem. And certainly we'll see in the longer term whether this actually starts to relate to increased levels of obstructive sleep apnea, for yeah. example. Yeah. And OSA really is where there's been partial or complete cessation in breathing throughout the night. Mm. We are seeing some indications that there's an increased prevalence of fatigue. Mm. Uh, and one of the all of the challenge here is do we differentiate fatigue from sleepiness? Yes. It's, it's, yeah. it's one of the bugbears I think that has, that has uh, plagued us for many, many years. But um, some early indications are suggesting that there is excessive sleepiness in there. Mm. So we, we're starting to do a lot more studies now in depth on terms of long COVID to find out what its long-term relationship will be with sleep. Okay, and uh, there must be people who are happy perhaps that they haven't got long COVID as such, however mm. that's currently being defined, but aware that something has changed in their sleep pattern as mm. a result of having COVID. Do, do we know what is causing that? Is that partly stress? Is there something physiological going on? It's probably going to be multifactorial. There's mm. going to be stresses in there. Yeah. Um, but what was very interesting is that what we were seeing is not the archetype sleep stress response. Mm. You know, generally with uh, stress-related sleep loss, insomnia, um, what you tend to see is difficulties getting off to sleep predominantly. Yeah. And we weren't seeing that so much as lots of um, really weird dreaming, some odd things going on there, um, and a lot more problems during the night. Okay. So the characterization, it wasn't quite matching that insomnia that we would generally see that's yeah. very psychologically driven, Yeah. which has yeah. led us to think actually there may be something that's changed in the dynamics of sleep itself, maybe fragmentations in the sleep system itself that actually may be masking as this sort of insomnia but not quite the same thing yeah okay so i'm intrigued by the really weird dreaming mm. your words <laughs> really weird dreaming so what's uh is that a difference in this stage of sleep or is it the same stage but uh, unusual patterns within that stage uh it's it's unusual patterns within the stage okay. and it's, it's something that's come up actually quite a lot over covid is that people are talking quite extensively about having very bizarre dreams right 
Now, the thing to remember here is if you remember a dream, you've woken up. Yeah, okay. So that's partially it. It might be that these people have these wacky dreams about being chased around supermarkets by llamas uh, frequently. Um, Just that they just so happen to wake up during the llama incident. (laughs) That being said, there is some very good work by, um, unfortunately she died last year, uh, Rosalind Cartwright, um, and she looked at how dreams really reflect our mental health. Mm. And you know, she looked at the dreams of people who had recently bereaved uh, or those people going through divorce. And the dynamics of the dream actually determined and were associated with whether somebody got over the bereavement or okay. how they managed with the divorce. Yeah. And so, you know, when the first reports around COVID started coming out about all of this weird, wacky dreaming, we started to think, is it, is it a mental health issue or is there something changing in the dynamics of REM? I think one of the biggest challenges that we've had is because we've all been locked down mm. and most sleep laboratories still probably aren't up and running. Right. We're not able to do those studies yet. Sure. We're just starting to get around to getting those, those clearances back. And this is when we'll start to get a much clearer impression of both how COVID has impacted general population how it's then impacted on those people who have actually developed it yeah okay so that means all the information you're getting at the moment is just self-reported uh, things presumably there are uh, some countries which are um more eager to open <laughs> okay. uh, let's put it that way uh and so we're seeing some data coming out from some of those countries and indeed you know uh, china was a good example in terms of the fact that china was pushing out data i know they that's where it originated at least as far as Mm. we know and they were pushing out a lot of data talking about sleep disturbance but again they started with the self-reports because everything was shut down Mm. we're now starting to see some of their neurological studies yeah um and certainly in london we're starting to see a lot more studies being conducted in that area but i think we need to we need to put on the pause button just at the moment until we've got some really good indication of what the variation is sure um, and for a lot of people who have COVID, they mm. are unwell, they may or may not need to come to hospital and mm. they will be left with something that, that may pass fairly uh, quickly. But for those people who were ill enough to need to be in hospital, mm. I sort of almost see them as, as quite a different group because they've had such a different experience, mm. often involving things on their face to help them with their yep. breathing. It may just be an oxygen mask, but uh, I've never had to be in hospital and have an oxygen mask on me all night. No. But that must have an effect, even once you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Um, and also those who needed uh, more intense help with their, their breathing and have the sort of mm. tight-fitting uh, ventilation. Uh, what do we understand about how that experience as a whole, as well as the physiology behind mm. the, the, their lungs recovering from COVID, but that experience affecting their sleep? we're likely to see a lot more trauma in mm. those in those instances and and you know almost al- along the framework of in the longer term post-traumatic stress disorder right because you know, going into hospital is a frightening experience at the the best of times going in in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of all of this not mm. really knowing much about what's going on with sure. this particular issue uh then some of as you say some of the uh, interventions are quite invasive yeah and we know that it can be very traumatizing. And so there's a very intimate relationship between um, poor sleep and PTSD. Mm. And beautiful work by Anne Germain uh, at the University of Pittsburgh. <clears throat> she mainly studied veterans, but what she found was that 
if you try to manage sleep, you actually can alleviate a lot of the PTSD. Oh, okay. Um, she starts to talk about the pathogenesis of it, that you know, to the point that she actually, when she was working with active personnel, she was treating sleep whether they needed it or not. They were then sent out and then looking at levels of PTSD afterwards, yeah. and they were significantly lower. And so we know that there is a very intimate relationship between trauma and sleep. How you sleep the night after a trauma or the night of a trauma is a very good indicator of whether you're going to develop PTSD. Okay, and I guess similar to all types of P PTSD, or well, my very limited understanding that two people go through the exact same experience mm. and one could end up very traumatised mm. by it. Flashbacks to horrible yep. things uh, that have happened to them and the other person going, yeah, it's a bit bad at the time, but I I'm fine now. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, there's going to be an awful lot of variables in there. One of those is sleep. Mm. <clears throat> and there's a, there a theory that uh, in the earlier podcast, I talked about REM, rapid eye movement yeah. sleep, and it's really associated with emotional memory. And if REM comes in too quickly before you've done the processing in stage two, mm. that could lead on to a longer term problem in terms of flashbacks. Mm. If you think about what stage two is for, it's there to determine, do I need this? But it also has another function. Not only do I need this, but I'm going to separate the action from the emotion. Okay. So we've, we've all had an occasion where we stubbed our toe. Yeah. And we can all recall one, but none of us are now screaming with the pain and the yeah. agony of it. We can remember it hurt, but we can't actually feel that visceral response. So we've clearly put it into memory, but we've separated out the that sensation yeah. from the actual event. Yeah. Now, if REM comes in too quickly, we certainly know that you know, we've known from the 70s, REM coming in too quickly is a very bad thing. Mm. Um, and, and it's you know, something wicked is coming in yeah. about four weeks time. Yeah. And so if it comes in too quickly, you don't have an opportunity to separate, to consolidate, then the likelihood is that that's going to lead to those flashbacks that we might see. Right. Okay. And uh, again, I know we won't know with COVID, but are there similarities with other illnesses where we can say, yes, you had uh, an incident that has affected your sleep, mm. both physiologically and psychologically, and it's you're still feeling the effects of those at how many months later? But can we say the chances are you that will improve over time? Or do some people get into a, a habit almost of... Mm bad sleep because of an underlying problem but then the, the habit is as bad as the underlying problem almost ah, self-reinforcing <laughs> yes indeed yeah absolutely and, and we, th we see that along the trajectory of insomnia uh, you know one of the biggest issues around insomnia and we talked in one of the earlier podcasts about sleep and stress mm. and one of the things to always remember is that what makes insomnia chronic has absolutely nothing to do with the stressor Right. The stress is gone. It's diminished. It's those reinforcing thoughts, feelings and behaviours that really keep it alive. Okay. And so absolutely, it may be a case that um, COVID has come in and has created a, an associated sleep problem, but it could then be reinforced by the individual's own behaviours, thoughts, feelings, worries and concerns, okay. which could then turn it into a long term condition. 
Sure. So uh, this is a very blunt way of addressing <laughs> it, but does that mean counselling in its broadest sense, you know, would would help? Mm. Uh, and I guess there's a lot of that for patients who have suffered with COVID anyway, yeah. but there's an element of that could be helping with uh, sleep disturbance. I think it's a great thing to think about it in a holistic sense. Mm. You know, we, we tend to take on symptoms and try to address those as symptoms. Yeah. Actually addressing the sleep. Uh, and we can see this in, in the framework of um, anxiety and depression. Okay. When we've looked at studies which have treated people with anxiety, depression and insomnia, and we've treated the insomnia, what we see is the insomnia tends to diminish significantly, as does the depression anxiety. Okay. However, you do it the other way around, and with the same sort of patients, and you treat the depression or the anxiety, okay, it's, it does nicely with the depression anxiety, but it doesn't really, the residual symptom yeah. is insomnia. Same thing happens in PTSD. Okay. If you treat PTSD uh, with uh, imagery rehearsal therapy, for example, the main residual symptom that you'll see is insomnia. Yeah. So maybe we've got to start thinking about it is let's address sleep and, and sleep problems as a transdiagnostic for problems in other domains. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I guess I don't want to trivialize this, but I guess people like yourself and your colleagues around the world will be rushing to sort of look to see how COVID is affecting people and what proper data we can get. <laughs> oh, now yeah, you stumbled onto an awkward topic. Um, I'm, I, I actually, from a moral point of view, mm -hmm. I, I said from the outset of this, I will only do any studies, COVID-related studies, if they are treatment studies. Okay. I, I've, I've got a bit of a thing about you know, people jumping on and oh, yeah, you know, there's something going yeah. on. Let's yeah. let's let's all, all all study it. We don't need. 29,000 epidemiological studies on insomnia and and COVID. Yes, yes. What we need is to, you know, each of us take a different area. You know, from my perspective, what we've done is we've looked at healthcare professionals. We've given them um, an early intervention, um, even if they don't have a sleep problem, mm. and then we're following them up to see whether they develop sleep problems. Yeah. So, oh, ooh, James, <laughs> you, you picked on an awkward topic there. <laughs> Oh, I'm just uh, <laughs> in, intrigued. I mean, you're right. Certainly in the medical press, mm. we've seen lots of studies that you think, well, you're not really telling me anything new yeah. or, or even that interesting. Mm, and it mm, does feel mm. like you're jumping on the bandwagon because you know anything about COVID will get uh, published. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of um, you know rapid movement yeah, around the area. Yeah. But no, I, I certainly don't believe we needed you know, 20 epidemiological yeah. studies on, on the UK population sleep and COVID. Yeah. Sorry, but, but but some useful stuff will come out in the in the, in the coming years. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, I I did a review recently of some of the early data that was coming out of the UK, and I, I have to say, you know, again, it was a very fast moving thing, mm. and so some of the quality of those studies, yeah, wasn't great. Yeah, but it, they still make those headlines, and that's that's where I get a bit challenged. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. That's been really, really interesting. Uh, as we keep saying, you know, a topic that uh, we don't fully understand mm. and are finding out more about uh, each day. Uh, but thanks for letting us know, you know, if people who are listening to this have suffered from COVID and are having difficulty sleeping, a bit of understanding uh, mm. about how and why that's affecting them. Yep. Uh, really helpful. So thank you very much. No problem at all. So thank you very much for listening. I hope that's been useful and interesting. And please listen to our other podcasts on Talking Sleep on Inside Northumbria. 
Uh, and uh, hope uh, even after all this you can still <laughs> sleep well. Thank you. <laughs>